For now, I want you to turn, please, to the book of Jude. We're continuing our series this morning. And uh, this is the fifth message, and we've got a, a few more to go before we finish this. But my topic today is dangerous role models. Jude verses 11 to 16. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are blemishes on your love feasts as they feast with you without fear looking after themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Wow. Let's go on, verse 14. For it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds, of ungodliness, of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Well, what a long list of negative statements to deal with this morning. But I want to tell you, that Jude takes the time to spell it out and to describe the lifestyle and the consequences of that lifestyle that are coming upon a certain group of people who had infiltrated the church. He is not talking to Christians or talking about Christians here. He's warning us not to go down that route. But he is talking to us, and I, I kind of feel that here we have an example of how not to do it so that we can learn what not to do. In the last couple of weeks, I've done a refresher course on my first aid. And the notes I was sent through began, obviously, predictably. Well, what is first aid? First aid is the immediate help that people need with a sudden onset of injury or illness before medical help is available. So we've got that off. Then the next thing is listed of all the things that you should not do. Number one, don't panic. Helpful advice. Number two, don't tear clothing away from somebody if, they, if there's burns on their skin or apply lotions. Don't do that. Or if somebody's unconscious, don't shake them and shout at them to try and rouse them. And don't try and give them something to drink when they're unconscious. And above everything else, don't give them a sip of brandy as some kind of medicinal remedy. Now, these are good 
warnings about what not to do. And any good teacher describes what not to do as well as what to do. You recall Jesus did this frequently. So when he was speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees and the hypocrites who parade their prayers with fine-sounding words. Don't keep on babbling like they do. But when you pray, this is now the positive what to do, go pray to your father in secret because he will hear you. So what not to do can be as informative as what to do. So I want us to approach this passage with that positive purpose in mind. As we look at the topic of dangerous role models, peer pressure, getting in with the wrong crowd, every parent gets very anxious when they see their children mixing with the wrong kind of people because they know that the Bible says bad company corrupts good character. Or when we look at what's available in society, the celebrity role models and sporting heroes, everywhere we're offered role models to follow. But the danger is we can follow the wrong people. I believe that dangerous role models can lead a whole generation in the wrong direction. So God calls us to ignore the roar of the crowd and to focus on the purity of life in Christ together with those who genuinely want to follow him. I did a Google search just to see who, uh, you know, what, who Google says some of the sporting heroes are, good role models. And one name that came up very quickly was Gary Neville. Gary Neville, footballer. Um, might just be, it says, one of the least naturally gifted footballers ever to make it in the legendary elite class of footballers. <laughs> How did a man who self-confessed also accepts the fact that his own brother Phil and some other players that he played alongside were naturally more gifted than he. Well, it was hard work, discipline, and perseverance. Now, that's a good role model. Using what God has given you to the fullest by applying yourself with discipline and hard work. And, but I wanted to let you know, at the top of the list was the role model who is the ultimate role model for one and all, according to this website. I'm not going to tell you who he is just yet. See if you can guess. Well, the ultimate role model for almost everyone related to football is a man of great looks, with a brilliant career, big money, a pop star for a wife, a life right out of a Hollywood movie, living in a palace, not Buckingham Palace, but Beckingham Palace. Now, I have nothing against David Beckham at all, and um, it's, I think he's great. But the point is, is that what this website is saying is, isn't this what you all long for? You want to have everything that the world has. You look at people who are rich and famous and talented and have got 
you know, a whole array of beautiful women by their side and so on and so on. And we'd like to ask the question, is this really what life is all about? That's why we have to filter very carefully the information we get from outside and the influence that comes from the wider culture. Well, Jude bursts the bubble very dramatically. In this section, he begins with these words, Woe to them! Wow, very strong word. Woe is the opposite of blessed. Jesus described how to walk in God's blessing. And he would say such things as this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for riches, gold, girls, and glory. No, for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the lifestyle of those who are blessed, the word is translated happy. It's the opposite of woe. If you're under woe, you're miserable. If you're walking with Christ in paths of righteousness, you are blessed. It's a, it's a, a level of happiness that goes beyond material possessions, earthly success, and achievement. And the summary description of these that Jude is warning about, and by the way, you will know that these were the intruders, were ungodly people who came into the church and began to uh, teach a doctrine which says, live as however you want to live. It doesn't matter. Holiness is not important. In fact, uh, to be sinful actually is to be righteous. That's, that's what they were, were teaching. Anyway, he describes these people, and I just wonder if you look at this description and say, you know what? I don't want to be like that. In verse 16, he says, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. And that's a very important lesson because, you see, sometimes the deception of our own human heart as we look out and see other people out there enjoying themselves and living it up and seemingly living in freedom, so happy and free, uh, and we think, well, that's the path to happiness. Actually, the path to misery is the pathway of self-gratification, giving in to your base desires or your more sinful desires rather than crucifying those and following the way of righteousness. That's why they were so dissatisfied within themselves. Then it goes on to describe in verse 16, the second part, it says, they are loud-mouthed boasters. They get all the attention. They grab the spotlight. They grab the headlines. And often their boasting is against God, either directly or indirectly, 
overtly or covertly because they are promoting themselves. They're promoting a fleshly way of life and living which ignores God. And then the final description here, showing favoritism to gain advantage. These are people who are who live horrendous lives but present themselves as highly attractive and satisfied people and they are very nice to you when they want something from you. They ingratiate themselves upon you. And I reckon these people were, were kind of like very charismatic type people. They didn't have the Holy Spirit, but they, they presented themselves in such a way as being very nice. And we know people who are very, very good in public. They will say the right thing. They will smile at you. They will say nice things about you because they want something from you. And in this context, usually it was their well, it was your money. That's what they wanted. And also, they would be just trying to meet a need in themselves. They felt so unloved and so um, dissatisfied in themselves. And that's why they presented themselves as nice people, so you would love them. The kind of people always saying, do you love me? And what they want to do is you to love them. So they feel good about themselves. And in the meantime, they live off and feed off what they can get from other people. Well, the way out of that, the way to be truly satisfied, is to walk in the blessing of the Lord by following his example and not following the examples, the bad examples that you can identify around you. However, as I said, we can learn from other people's mistakes. We can learn from bad examples, you know, as an example of what not to do. And so let's look at the examples that he gives here. He said, these people, this is what they were basing their life on. This is who they were following. Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Now, Jude is so full of Old Testament revelation, knowing his Hebrew Bible so well, and he just pulls these examples off. Now, maybe it would take a little bit of us looking into it to really discover who these people were. Now, I'll give you a brief introduction. In Genesis chapter 4, we read of a man called Cain, who killed his brother Abel. He did it out of jealousy. He was peeved because God accepted Abel's offering, which was the offering from his flock. He was a shepherd. But God refused to accept Cain's offering, which was fruit and vegetables. What has God got against fruit and vegetables? Nothing. But God had given a revelation showing the way of an acceptable sacrifice, which was a blood sacrifice. It goes back to the first sacrifice that was ever made. Shortly after Adam and Eve sinned, God killed animals and made of their skins clothing to protect the shame and to cover, not cover up, but to cover the sin of those, our first parents. And God in doing that was saying that he requires a sacrifice, which is a way of pouring out his judgment on someone who substitutes as a sacrifice 
for the sins of the world. Pointing to Jesus. Many people today who want a relationship with God want to come and produce the best that they can do. And now God will accept me. I'm doing my best. I'm giving what I have. In other words, they're saying, I can do it without God. But when you come to know who Jesus is, he is the way to God because Jesus did what you could never do for yourself. He paid the price for your sin. All of that was bound up in this story of Cain and Abel. Now, Balaam, Balaam was a false prophet and, and he was available for a fee. Most often he used divination, which is a way of accessing this spiritual realm to gain certain information or powers from the other side, completely forbidden in the word of God. And so there was a problem. The problem was Israel. Israel was a growing nation passing through adjacent to the uh, land of Moab and the king of Moab, Balak, was furious. He said, we've got to do something to stop these people. So he hired Balaam to pronounce a curse, gave him a fat fee that he would curse his enemies, Israel, and that would be the end of the matter. Well, the story goes on. Balaam accepts the fee. I will do anything for a price. I will say anything about anyone, anywhere, and I'll even invest some divination in it to get a fee. <laughs> when Balaam tried to pronounce a curse, he opened his mouth, he took a deep breath, and out of his mouth came blessing. And Balak said, I paid you to curse, and you're blessing them. He said, oh, I'll try, I'll have another go, I'll have another go. He tried it three times. But only thing that come out of his mouth was blessing because how can the devil curse those whom God has blessed? Well, it failed. And he was about to have to return the fee until he hit on an idea, which was, I will give Balak counsel on how to deal with these enemies. I can't curse them but draw them away from the Lord, get them into marrying and following other gods, then God will do what for you what you've asked me to do. That was dreadful advice. And it worked. Korah was of the tribe of Levi. By the way, Balaam is found in Numbers 22, if you want to look it up. And Korah is found in Numbers chapter 16. So Korah was uh, head of the Levitical tribe. And if you know your Old Testament teaching here, uh, the Levitical tribe were, was a priestly tribe, but, but they were there to aid and assist those who were called out to function in the priesthood. Aaron and his sons, it was a hereditary priestly family. And Korah and the others got together and said, this is ridiculous. Who do you think you are, Moses? You're standing up there pontificating, lording it over us. We're as good as you are. We want to do that as well. 
So, you know, we might think that is all very liberal and democratic, but the point is this. Moses had been called by God, anointed by God and given authority by God to lead the people. And because of that authority, these people were jealous. That often happens in church life. People who have and carry an authority and an anointing sometimes are the subject of or object of jealousy and what the enemy wants to do is tear them down. So let's say, well, we can all do this. No, you can't. You can only do what God gives you to do. And if you're given a prominent place and a position and a strong anointing, we've seen this on the international stage of those who are gifted and anointed by God. And, and, and if God anoints you, you do what he gives you to do. And every anointing is different. There's some anointing for leadership and levels of authority that don't fall upon every individual person. And God says, respect those who are anointed and called because they are called for your benefit to function as under shepherds, to function in apostolic and prophetic roles in order to lead the church of Jesus Christ forward. And they're not perfect and they're not special. They're just simply gifted by God in a different way than you are. And your gift is equally uh, a blessing and equally from the Lord. But you don't mess with the authorities that God has given in the church. Now, they were doing that. And it didn't end well. At one point, the ground opened up and swallowed the main protagonists of this rebellion against the Lord and his servant Moses. And the others also suffered because they despised what God had established. Well, that's a quick whistle-stop tour in some Old Testament history. But these examples are relevant to us today because we learn from them what not to do. Now in verse 12, there is this rather obscure reference to something that we can learn about from church history. Verse 12 says, These people... They are blemishes on your love feasts. Another way of seeing this is they are the reefs hidden under water which uh, cause collision and shipwreck. Very strong image. Blemishes on your love feasts. The love feasts were the agape meals of the early church. Um, probably during those meals they would uh, enjoy remembrance of the Lord through the breaking of bread and the drinking of the wine. But in a context of a celebration, fellowship meal, so wonderful to do that. We haven't been able to do that for a little while, other than virtually. Uh, last summer, we had a virtual uh, party with the staff members, and uh, we toasted each other with cups of tea and cake. The cake was sent through the mail, and um, a lot of staff members had no cake, because they ate it before the party time. But still, never mind. It was the, the best we can do. But we, we miss this every week uh, when we're back to normal. We enjoy food and fellowship downstairs. It's a kind of agape feast. Now, these also had a kind of feast, but it was a love feast in a different, different sense altogether. 
It says, they feast with you without fear. Christian fellowship is holy. We're in holy relationships with one another. We should honor and respect and nurture one another. In the communion service, Paul warns of how it is easy to disrespect one another. There was a cultural divide, a social divide between the workers and the laborers in the field and those wealthy landowners. They would get to the meeting first with their, with their Harrods hampers packed full of everything and they would stuff themselves and actually over, uh, to uh, overindulge the point of getting drunk and then the workers would, would come in late from the fields and there'd be, there'd be no food for them. And Paul says, this is not the body of Christ. This is not communion. Now then, it even got worse than that. I'm going to quote to you an example of the kind of thing that Jude was talking about here. To realize, I'm just doing this to show you. It's shocking and it's unpleasant, but I'm just showing you how bad things can get when you go down the wrong line and you cast off all restraint and start living for your own sensual self-indulgence. There was a group, uh, probably around the late first century, early second century, called the Carpocratians. They were a sect. Um, they were actually a Gnostic sect, but I don't think that applies to Jude as much, uh, you, you know, but still it's an example of the kind of thing he's talking about. And uh, the early second century historian and a Christian writer, one of the fathers of the early church, Clement of Alexandria, describes these people and what they did. Listen carefully. These are the doctrines of our noble Carpocratians. They say that these people and some other zealots for the same vicious practices gather for dinner. I could never call their congregation a Christian love feast. Men and women together, and after they have stuffed themselves, the Cyprian goddess is there when you are full, they say. They knock over the lamps, put out the light that would expose their fornicating righteousness, and couple as they will with any woman they fancy. So in this love feast, they practice commonality. Then by daylight, they demand any woman they want in obedience, it would be wrong to say to the law of God, but to the law of Carpocrates. I guess this sort of legislation Carpocrates must have established for the copulation of dogs, pigs, and goats. Hmm, interesting fellow, Clement of Alexandria, he didn't mince his words, but it's just to show you that this is not just some nice thought, some nice idea here in Scripture. There are great dangers when people give themselves over to the indulgence, the free, unfettered, uncontrolled indulgence of their own desires and somehow project that onto God as if it was a form of super-spirituality. In this series, I've mentioned frequently that we often expose the error, the opposite error, which is legalism that by obeying strict rules and regulations that you are honoring God. No, we are set free from those rules and regulations to be in the spirit empowered by God 
to live freely as he leads us and guides us and directs us and he will never lead us into these things. And the scripture is full of instruction on the right way to go. That's the opposite error of legalism. This is the error of license. Everything is permissible. It's okay. Everything's fine. And that's very much the spirit of the age. The age still has a few things that you cross that line and you're in big trouble. But very often, what is laid out as what is acceptable and right and pure and holy, something that we should celebrate, actually is in God's words, something not right and harmful. And then there's a quick succession. And there, I'll give it in rapid fire without commenting on a lot of it. It does speak for itself. It goes on to say, what's wrong with these people? They are, they're looking after themselves. It's all about them. They're greedy. They want gain. They want everything to go towards them. They're looking for self-satisfaction and they don't care how they get it. Looking after themselves. This is the very opposite. When Cain killed his brother Abel and God said, where's your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? Oh, yes, you are. We are here, not just to look after ourselves. We are here to be a genuine blessing to others. And then he lists what I consider to be a list of broken promises, waterless clouds swept along by winds in a place where there is drought. And you see clouds gathering in the sky, out of the clear blue sky, clouds gather and you start to assemble and wait saying, oh, the clouds are here, rain is coming. But no, the wind blows the rain, the wind blows the clouds away and there's, there's no rain. False promises, clouds that contain no water, fruitless trees, though being late autumn, don't produce fruit. The promise of fruit, but not delivering it. Jude says they're twice dead. Not only are they fruitless, but they shall be uprooted. Then it goes on to talk about these people. They're like the wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Jude is steeped in Old Testament language and uh, biblical Jewish scripture. And there are scriptures along this line, Isaiah 57, verses 20 to 21. It says this, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And this is exactly how people infiltrate the church and people behaving badly within the church who are genuine Christians and should know better out of your own discontent, out of your own dissatisfaction. You start stirring up trouble for others, muddying the waters, throwing up muck and throwing up mud, clouding the situation, bringing disunity, bringing division. Be very careful. Learn from these people. Don't be like them. And we're going to come a little later on in the series to see what what we do do with people who are discouraged. I've heard people say, I've given up on the church. Now is no time to give up on the church. 
If you've given up on the church, you've given up on yourself, for you are the church. Oh, we need one another. We need to build one another up. We need to encourage one another. And we need to sow seeds of peace and be, be fruitful rather than divisive and disruptive and give up because of our own dissatisfaction and discouragement. Then it finishes with this statement and almost with this, we're done with this negative list of the things that we need to avoid and learn from. He says, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. The New Testament argues in this way many times, basically saying, look at what the ungodly are doing. That's not who you are. You're a believer. You're righteous in Christ. So don't do what they do. Don't participate with them in these things. It's very important today because there's so much pressure for us to conform to worldly standards which are current in society, which go right against the revelation of who God is. And this can happen insidiously and subtly, and we find ourselves thinking the way the world thinks and talking the way the world talks. Recently, we've had reason to be distressed at even the noble institution of the BBC, who tries and doing a good job by and large to help parents educate their children during lockdown with a whole uh, set of resources. And on one of these resources, which has been so invaded by pressure groups, uh, teaching young children of between the age of nine and 12, key stage two, when an innocent question, how many genders are there? Why would you need to ask that question? Biology tells us XY and XX, male and female biology. And the Bible confirms it. Male and female, he created them. Now, great compassion on people who struggle with their sexual identity. Great compassion on people who suffer from what is called gender dysphoria and all that. And we should not ridicule, lambaste, or judge those who struggle in this way. But certainly, we should not simply answer as one trusted adult was said, oh, how many genders are there? Well, there are over a hundred genders. Try and fill that out on your passport application. Oh, no, no, no. We have to stand strong, not, not follow the crowd or follow society or follow individuals who are representing these errors in thinking which undermine not just science very often, but actually rebel against who God is, not just what he says, but who he is. Loving Father who has given us guidance and for life and showing us how we can be fruitful and how we can flourish as human beings rather than believing the lie, which is to depart from the Lord and you will find what you're looking for and what will satisfy you. Oh, well, there we go. So we might say, is he done? No, not yet. He's not done. It's as if Jude says, do you know what? I'm just going to move away from this subject, but before I do, I'm going to give you, you know, a double whammy. And here he goes. Uh, he In verses 14, 
And this, this actually is a springboard. We can learn from this as well. So it's, it's not just listening to judgment and negative prophetic judgment. Listen carefully because there's some, there's some nourishment for our souls here. Verse 14. It was about these also that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Now the prophecy that follows is not found in any Old Testament writings. It is found in intertestamental writings of Jewish literature, uh, the book of one Enoch, for example. And it seems that Jude is able to read a book like that, which is not scripture, but say, do you know what? I agree with this. This is correct. This, this prophecy is true. And this was the prophecy. Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Four times the word ungodly. Why is that? It's that we will hear the opposite and respond in the opposite direction. The opposite of ungodliness is righteousness. And so what he's saying here, these people pursue ungodliness, but you believers pursue righteousness. And not only will you avoid their errors, but you will find God's peace and God's blessing upon your life. So what is Jude saying? Be careful who you follow. Establish good role models in your life. In our cell group ministry, that's what we do. We help to model Christ to one another and require others to help us improve and grow and move forward. Surround yourself with good people. People who are serious about going on with God. Paul was able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Those are the kind of people we should follow because our objective is to grow, to become more like Jesus. In our discipleship ministry, encourage one another through discipleship and through example. I remember many years ago, Lyndon Bowring gave a youth talk. Lyndon Bowring, still a friend of KT, member of KT, but was a minister for a, a while. And he said, young people, you're going to senior school, you're going to college. Make sure that you have at least one Christian friend that you stay close to, that you can encourage and they can encourage you and together stand up for Jesus. We need one another. And so, unlike these intruders. We are not fake Christians. We don't fake it. We don't make false promises. We cultivate a godly life. We, we train ourselves for godliness and we do so together with all those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I want to say to you, while we are encouraged to attach ourselves to good role models, don't put your faith in them, for they will let you down. We don't put our trust in people, but our trust in the Lord. We learn from one another the best that we can learn from one another. We learn from one another's mistakes as well. 
And one of the things that we need to reestablish is the power of godly example. Many of us who stand in the pulpit Sunday by Sunday, we are deeply conscious that we are not everything that we preach and proclaim. Because we preach and proclaim a high standard. And for a lot of the time, while obviously we are seeking to put into practice what we preach, but so often we are reaching out in aspiration. And we reach out and, and proclaim Jesus as the high standard from whom we all still fall so short. But we're saying that's who we want to be. This is who we are. But in the meantime, we stand with integrity and model obedience to Christ and model spiritual aspiration, discipline, and a determination to keep growing and to draw closer to him. And even those that you model your life on and who influence you, when they fall, and they will, watch closely what they do. If they say, help me, pray for me, how do they put it right? We all stumble, but one of the best things to learn is that when we sin and when we fall and when we fail, we say, God, help me. And we very quickly return to Christ and model what it means to keep short accounts with the living God. So I guess Jude is saying, live each passing day in the light of the enduring tomorrow. Don't go with the flow. Stand out from the crowd. Go against the flow. Learn to swim upstream like the salmon that begins in the open ocean and at a certain time makes its way from the open sea into the estuary beyond the estuary into the river and beyond the river into the tributary, into the waterfalls, high in the mountains, all the while leaping over rocks, leaping over waterfalls, going against the flow, finally to arrive at the place where it was, where it began its life. That's what it's like. God help us. God give us strength. And let's learn from those who've made mistakes. We learn what not to do, but we embrace Jesus, who is the only example of what to do, what we should be like. Amen.